The War Report News provides African-centered themed entertainment programming through digital content creation in the form of book reviews, insightful interviews, literature, podcasting, and audiovisual essays, which promote strategic, active thinking for Africans across the diaspora. The objective of this platform is to elevate analytical, critical, practical, logical, pragmatic, and solution-oriented thinking among biologically sound, saying Africans amidst of cultural confusion. We must debunk insanity of the pseudo-conscious intellectual fantasy of cultural capitalist cliques of boulet-minded Negroes. Revolutionary greetings, everybody. This is your brother Zolani Yaba, uh, the host of the War Report News podcast and the founder of the War Report News Network. So I, I want to give a basis for those who are new to the platform uh, regarding why I started it, what was the purpose behind it. Uh, I was having issues with social media, with being shadow banned, and my pages are heavily reported by people who are being held accountable for their behavior as pseudo-intellectuals uh, pushing forth uh, a petty bourgeois mentality, profiting off people through lectures, through YouTube, through um, watching Hidden Colors and believe that they're a scholar based off uh, things that they're doing. Also, there are a lot of people that have been plagiarizing my work in terms that I have implemented in the quote-unquote what we call the conscious community. Um, hidden color syndrome, I've been saying it for a long time. Uh, cultural confusion, cointel negro, it's a lot of different terms that are being used and I'm being discredited and slandered. So that is the main reason for creating a podcast because every time I've seen on video, pages have been reported from YouTube to Instagram to Facebook, Twitter, WordPress, even my LinkedIn has been reported. The World Report News Network is an African-centered research center and think tank that politically educates Africans across the diaspora using digital media to be implemented in the form of edutainment through audio, video, and written content to promote strategic, active, solution-oriented thinking within Black colonies across the world. We uh, we publish independent research through audiovisual essays, book reviews, handbooks, insightful interviews, pamphlets, podcasting, and political educational literature that counters the mental societal narrative, as well as the miseducation propaganda mainstream westernized society. So the World Report podcast is a news commentary platform that uses political education through guerrilla journalism and independent research to re-educate African people on topics relating to Black liberation politics as well as African culture. The ultimate objective of this podcast is to raise cultural knowledge, preserve historical artifacts, and restore political awareness through our educational uh, initiatives, debunking pseudo-consciousness, derailing the academic auction block, political education, and prison literacy as mechanisms to liberate the African world community. Lastly, you can stream the World Report News podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker, 
and uh, tune in. And today I have a guest that is a, he's a student of the great master teacher, warrior scholars, Dr. John Henry Clark, Dr. Yosef Ben Yokanan, and Amos Wilson. He's a, a student of Pan-Africanism, um, a child of, uh, from the city of where Mary Baraka has laid his great foundational works through poetry and activism, organizing. He's collaborated with uh, a lot of contemporary African-centered scholars. Um, he's been in the conscious community for, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, decades from building with him. Uh, I have the pleasure of bringing on uh, somebody I could look to as, as, a, as an elder and OG. Uh, Brother Ali McBride, how you doing, my hey, brother? Hey, listen, man, I, I, it's a pleasure, Madasi, and that's a great introduction, man. I, I like your style there, brother. I love your style there. <laughs> Most definitely. I appreciate you coming on to the platform. Uh, welcome. So I want you to go into, like, what are your origins? Who is Ali McBride? Okay, okay. Well, we'll, we'll go back, and, and you kind of touched on it, you know, my humble beginnings here in the city of Newark, New Jersey, where I'm currently at now. And I moved away for a little bit, only a city over um, where I was living, but I, I eventually came back uh, to Newark, New Jersey, born and raised here, went to, went to a parochial school and grammar school. Um, also went to a parochial school in high school, my freshman year. And I had issues with an individual, the Monsignor at the school, Father Ed, we had a little back and forth. He had a he thought that he could put hands on on folk and um but I'm a student of Asatita, Master Kevin Thompson, also known as the the eighth wonder of the world, um, where I received my black belt. And um that just wasn't gonna happen. So I, I winded up leaving St. Benedict's and going into the public school. Went to a couple of public schools, but I eventually graduated from Barringer High School, the same high school that Baba Emery Baraki Baraka graduated from, Dr. Leonard Jeffries, uh, Congressman Donald Payne. Um, I, I eventually wound up graduating from there, going on to Johnson C. Smith University. And so that's my humble beginnings for the most part. Absolutely. There, uh, and that's that's a great uh transition to you know my next question. Who were some of your influences? So, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, Leonard Jeffries, you spoke on him. And I actually was afforded the opportunity to meet Beautiful. him when I was in, in D.C. He received the Civil Rights Award, and I was able to build yeah. with him and just learn from him and soak up all the knowledge. So speak on, like, his influence on yourself as well as, you know, Dr. John Henry Clark and Yosef Ben. Yakinen and Dr. Amos Wilson. Not a like, problem. Speak on uh, your influences that made you the man Absolutely. that you are. I'll say this. I'll go back a little bit uh, before getting to those giants because there was a segue. And if you, you can interrupt me whenever you want to because I'll go on. <laughs> but what winded up happening was when I went to, to school, first of all, when I, before I went to undergraduate to Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, my mother, she, she would always allow us. I wrote about this on, on one of those pages not too long ago when I posted a picture of my daughter in the book she had picked. But my mother would allow me and my brother, she would go to the supermarket, the Pathmark in Belleville, and we would just fill a cart with books. 
And, you know, and most of the books were really books that were a reflection of, of our culture, a reflection of who we were. And I'll never forget my, my first book where that came in at was the autobiography of Lou Alcindor, also known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I was like, wow, because mm. the way people express themselves in, in, in sports now, it, it wasn't really like that back, back then. So reading that biography let, pushed me into a, a, another way of looking at athletes. So he was actually the first, that was the first biography that I read. And then it was another book where the Muslims downtown Newark, because, you know, there is a large Muslim and Islamic community here in Newark. Um, I got um, introduced to a book. As a matter of fact, I got introduced to this book before the autobiography of Malcolm X. It was called From Miseducation to Education by Naeem Akbar. A little pamphlet. This is before he became mm. the scholar uh, that he became later on, and um, it just gave me a different way of, of of looking at things. And then I went on to undergrad. No, I'm sorry. Let me back up a little bit. While I was in high school, there was a, a teacher that had her class reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. Unfortunately, I was in a class mm. where the teacher was. We had we were reading The Hobbit. So I went to her during that year and I said that I'm interested in reading that autobiography. And so she said, absolutely. She gave me one of the books and I read it and my mind was blown. My mind was blown my senior year. And that's when I went off to Johnson C. Smith. So upon going to Johnson C. Smith, I went down there and I joined up with an organization, um, two sisters. As a matter of fact, I'm still really, really close with one uh, sister, Arset, Arset Ari. And they had an organization called the the Association of of, of African of the Association of African People, I think that's what it was. either of the Association of African People, the Association of African Americans. So I got a little bit a little bit of something something during that time, and then I came home that summer, right? And there was a flyer of an organization called African Echoes. African Echoes was a grassroots organization born out of Harlem's first world, Harlem's first world. Well, uh, 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 Sister Kefra and her husband, Bill Jones, and all the scholars you named actually came through there. If you were anybody in the collective consciousness of African people, th that's where you went. Everybody came through there, whether it be Renoko Rashidi, Leonard Jeffries, Amos Bosom, Rumbi Ani, uh, uh, Dr. Francis Crespo, all of these people, they came through there. So one day during that, that break when I was home, I went to one of the organizational meetings for uh, African Echo. And it was a, a gentleman by the name of mm -hmm. Professor George Mackey Jr. Professor George Mackey Jr. was a professor in one of the institutions in New York, in the CUNY system, City University of New York. And I'll never forget, they had a meeting in a church. And when I came in, he, he stopped me, he, he asked me my name and I gave him you know, my government name. And he says, you ever thought about changing that? And I looked at him puzzled, like, what does he mean? And so he says, is your mother and father still living? I said, yes, they are. He says, well, don't worry about that. And he, he went on to, to go into things that I never thought uh, uh, could be a reality, right? So the founder of mm -hmm. African Echoes, Ibaye, he's, he's um, now an ancestor. And he was like a father to me. He invited me to one of the, the uh, study groups. And the study group led by Professor mm -hmm. George Simmons. Professor George Simmons was like Dr. Yosef Benyakin mm. right-hand man. You know, a lot of people know that, but a lot of the, the writing mm. and the transcript, transcripts and different things were written by Professor George Simmons. So I went to this meeting, right? It was almost like a mm. secret society meeting. You're in this, this house, you know, you got all these older men. I'm the, old, I'm the youngest guy in there. 
one sister by the name of Zul Latif. Uh, she was the only woman in there. And she would always give the woman's perspective. And um, Baba Inuni said to me one day, um, you believe that Jesus walked on water. And, you know, I could take that story at that time, even at that time. It's either here or there. But I said, I guess you're supposed to believe that. He said, what if I told you, because he was from Guyana. He said, what if I told you I walked on water? So I looked at him. I said, of course, I wouldn't believe you. He said, how do you believe a man that you've never seen? And I'm sitting here right in front of you telling you that I walked on water and you don't believe me. And it just blew my mind. Blew my mind. And so from that point, I was initiating into, initiated into studying this stolen legacy. Now, mind you, during that time, we're talking about the late 80s, early 90s, all the study groups all across the country, even where you're at in Chicago, over there in the West Coast, everybody was uh, 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 studying George M. James' stolen legacy. So everybody was studying stolen legacy, and that blew my mind because now it's, it's giving you a, a whole other, a whole other worldview as far as where the the intellectual foundation comes from. It, it, that's what it was giving you, and so you know I'm getting all of this. And it was wild. So then I went back to school and it was just, it was just something else. So while I was in school, um, believe it or not, Dr. John Henry Clark winded up coming down there. And a lot of that had to do with my connections with Baba Inuni, learning who these scholars were, and then joining organizations. As a matter of fact, I, I winded up becoming a part of one of the fraternities. And believe it or not, in me doing that, because I wasn't going to do it. As a matter of fact, I can give you a story. Dr. John Henry Clark, Literally, because because Inuni told me to do it. He told me to play it. They came to me. They said they were looking at me. I was always at the SGA meetings, going back and forth with the president of the SGA. And, you know, the Alphas were looking at me. And, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't interested in, in joining the fraternity. So when I came home again, Bobby Inuni said, well, listen. He said, you know what? You should join it. He said, because when I was at Howard University uh, with Kwame Touré, all we did was, 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 uh, was protest. He said, maybe you can change some minds. You know what? Do it. But right after I talked to Bobby Inouye, Dr. Henry Clark said, "Don't you pledge no fraternity?" He said that you're not Greek, <laughs> and he mm. went off, man. He went off. So I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" So, and I believe it or not, that was like maybe my second introduction to uh, 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 Bobby John, uh, Dr. John Henry Clark, second or third. And um, I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. But you know what? In a way, I'm kind of glad that I did, not because I was into fraternities, but it was because I was able to make these connections with the, with the Campus Lyceum Committee. So we were able to get individuals like Dr. John Henry Clark. We were able to get folk like Khalid Muhammad and Naeem Akbar, and Dr. Francis Cress Wilson. And we were able to get Amiri Baraka to come down because his daughter, Shani Baraka, Ibaye, who uh, uh, became an ancestor a few years back. She was a student there. And so it was able to work out. We, we were able to get Baba and Mary Baraka to come. And so at that time, man, I, I'm, you know, every summer or every break when there's a lecture, I'm able to sit, man, I'm able to sit and, and hear Dr. Ben and Dr. Clark and, and talk to them like they're, they're my family. You know, Kwame Torre was a friend of Baba Inuni, of the founder of African Echoes. So I'm, I'm around all of these things and this, this, this worldview that I was never, I wasn't used to. And, and it's funny because ironically, going back to school, people looked at me like, oh, this guy, he comes, he's radical, X, Y, Z. But as time went on, people catch up. That's just a lesson to mm. a lot of times when you feel like you're, you're, you're doing some things and you're alone or like what you're going through right now, people reporting you and different things of that nature. 
people will eventually catch up. People will eventually catch up mm. to where you add the different books that you're reading, all of those different things. And um, that's what will eventually happen. Going back a little bit, ASCAC, I'm not sure if you're familiar with ASCAC, the Association for the, uh, um, the, um, Association for the uh, Study of African, I forgot the acronym, but the ASCAC conference, the ASCAC um, organization, right? The, the, yeah. One of the one of the conferences was held in New and, and African Echoes hosted it. This is before 2000. Yeah, this is before 2000. Oh, wow. I think for because they came back to Newark. They came back to Essex County College. But even before that, uh, we used to have our our lectures at St. Rocco's, right off of South Orange Avenue in Newark. And we literally had one of the conferences there. Mahana Karinga came. Uh, like John Henry Clark, Clark was there. Dr. Ben. Uh, all of these, these heavyweights when it came to uh, African-centered worldview. Um, and it was it was a beautiful thing. But, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, it's a story. And I don't, a lot of people don't know the story. So you, you're getting some some good information right now. i never forget it was some young guys, man. They were out there fighting. And um, I went and I talked to the guys about fighting. I said, you know, you know who these guys are going inside this place? And, you know, they were okay with it. And uh, I went to whoever was at the door at the time because we had people who were who were fundamental uh, with regard to African Echo. They weren't really controlling the event. It was ASCAP. So I tried to get the young guys to come in, just hear what was going on. And they wouldn't allow them to come in, man. And I, and I was so upset. And that's when I, when I knew that, you know, it's going to take some younger some younger people to come in and kind of even this thing out because they didn't realize that the information – that they were sharing, the information that they had studied and researched, that very same information has to be passed down. You understand what I'm saying? Um, mm -hmm. So even before, you know, with that, you know, of course, I met Dr. Lennon. Matter of fact, I, I, call, I call and check on Dr. J and his wife, uh, Rosalind, all of the time. And, you know, we go back and forth banging heads. You know, I'm a young guy. You know, I'm, <laughs> I might be saying something and, you know, he'll challenge me. Uh, Baba James Small is like family. He's from Georgetown, South Carolina. He's like an uncle to me because he ran with my uncle Joseph Rudolph, who was going to fight Muhammad Ali back in the day, and um, that's how it happened, man. And I'm just blessed to be to be raised in this area of the world where I had a connection to all of those scholars, man. All of those scholars. I mean, if you ever see my 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 social media, you would see that I, we actually went to Dr. Ben's house before he passed, and we spent you know the day with him. Just watching the Yankee game, man. Just watching the the, the baseball game. Because you know he was he's a regular individual, man. But he was a giant, brother. He was a giant. So yeah, man. I had the pleasure of seeing all these individuals: Dr. Amos Wilson, Dr. John Henry Clark, uh, Dr. Joseph Benyakin, and Marumi Ani. Leonard Jeffries was like up and coming. I mean, he was there, but he was like up and coming. And that's when he gave his story about being a consultant. On the on Roots, I don't know if you remember Roots, the uh, Roots, the miniseries. Yeah, Doctor Jeffries was actually yeah a consultant on that, and this is one of the yeah this is one of the first lectures oh, I yeah. actually heard with him, and they were going in a direction that he didn't really like that it was going because a lot of what happened during that time during the Maafa, they would put things in to to cater for the most part to. To, to, I guess, the, to who they thought their audience was going to be. And it was so disgusting, he, he walked off the set. Mm. But that's when I was introduced to Dr. Jeffries when he gave his testimony about being a consultant with them uh, on, on the set and how all the Africans on, on grounds would cry 
And, you know, the, the money, the people who drove the money were like, no, no, we can't put that in there. Because everybody was crying. LeVar Burton, OJ Simpson, everybody that participated in the series, man, it was just so so touching. And that's that's where you, he, he understood that we didn't control what, what was going on in Hollywood. I mean, I, I know I, I might sound mm-hmm. a jumble, but I'm, I'm thinking about all of this stuff, man, and, and you know, coming up and being so young. When you're young like that, a lot of people yeah. are not into that. A lot of people are not uh, into, at the end of the lecture, Brother Reggie would be outside with a truck full of books, dealing with Egyptian history, mm-hmm. books dealing with, uh, 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 you know, Juwanzik and Jufu's books. All these books that were a reflection of who we were, and I was already addicted. I was already a bibliophile. So Brother Reggie would come at the end of the lecture. You would have that. You would have Brother Youssef. He would have the tape. I got I literally, I got tapes here right now because, like I said, Bobby Inouye joined the ancestors. And his daughter, Riketty, who's named after Riketty Wimby, um, she gave me a couple of tapes. I literally got tapes here now with uh, Dr. Edward Bynum out of Boston, uh, Baba James Small. Um, and I think I got one with Dr. John Henry Clark, Jacob Carruthers. Got a lecture here on tape. I got to digitize that with uh, uh, Baba Jacob Carruthers. And um, yeah, man. And and, and it, it, it's, it was so great because First World in Harlem would have their lectures on Saturdays. And they would have the, the lecture. Mm-hmm. Bobby Inouye was able to talk to Sister Kefra. And he was able to get them to stay another day. And they would come over to Newark. And they would give them yeah, so that's how that went, man. So, oh, wow. And Dr. Clark would come anyway. As a matter of fact, let me tell you how humble. I don't know whether it was Dr. Clark or Dr. Ben. It was one or the other. It might have even been both. But Baba Inouye would go to them and say, hey, listen, do you think that you can come to Newark and, and give a lecture? And they says, you know, of course, great. He said, well, you know, we're not going to have a lot of people. You know, we may not have a lot of people. You know, this was in the beginnings. And so they asked him, well, how many people are you? can you get? He said, you know, he said can you get five? He said, can you get five people? Yeah. And they would say, oh, that's all I need. So that just shows you the difference between these brothers, because you alluded to that in your introduction, how humble they were and how they had been studying more than half their lives. But they were willing to come to an empty place, not empty, but come to a place with only a few people to teach, to come and share the knowledge and the wealth they had acquired over the years. You know, I'm talking, we're talking about the 30s and 40s, you know, and not have that issue. Whereas time went on, people saw it as a meal ticket. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to at least make a living if that's what you do. Or not, or at least make a, a, a little profit. But I'll say this, that we're living in, in a different time where the value is not put on the research. The value is not put on uh, the things that are necessary mm. to, to liberate our people. Because believe it or not, and just this is just my opinion, and I've come to this rec- I've come to this revelation maybe within the last few months that uh, although social media is really a great place to share information because I share information on social media, it's tough, and it goes back to what you've alluded to. People can look at the Hidden Colors trilogy or quadruple taken or whatever and think that they're scholars and not take the time to fall back and read, not take the time to fall back and do the research, cutting everything off, shutting everything down and focusing on the research and the different things that made these individuals who they are. 
Mm-hmm. Right before right before we interviewed, I, I went back and I looked at the interview with uh, Dr. Greg Carr. And Dr. Greg Carr is phenomenal, man. He's a phenomenal brother. I'm not sure if you saw the, the, the episode last week uh, where we actually, I called up there, and, you know, I know our Professor Carr. And uh, we talked for a minute, man, because that's my man. But for him to be able to retain the information that he retained, that comes from years of research and reading. You know, it's practice. If, if you don't practice something, because that's practical, you you taking this information and when somebody mentions the book, you know, going to it. I saw that you had read uh, some Trans Fanon. You know, take it. Being able to mm-hmm. take that information, reading that information, and translate that into the now. Translate that and making that practical. So that's been my life, you know, and, and, and what also happens and, you know, by the grace of the ancestors, you know, that, that's why I made the connection, you know, with, with, with different organizations, you know, me and Raj, we crossed paths years ago when he was, he was at Howard with my brother, Andre McBride, who was at Howard University. And I was at Johnson C. Smith University with his sister, Shawnee Barack. Yeah. So we would see each other. And amazingly, I never oh, forget wow. the first time when Raj ran for mayor, he ran for mayor against Sharp James. As a matter of fact, there's an episode on Good Times where they had Alderman, um, all, I forget Alderman, whatever his name, and he was running against one of the young guys. And it was almost a recreation of, of that episode on Good Times with Mayor Sharp James and Raz Baraka. Um, and Raz eventually lost, but before he, he lost, he told me, we were at the airport together, I was getting a ticket to go to homecoming, and I think he might have been doing the same thing. And he came to me and he told me, he says, yo, brother, I'm running for mayor. Now, this is before he became mayor recently, like right now. You know, he back then he says I'm running for mayor, and um, I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. that, that's that's a good thing, man. So we always cross paths. I would go buy a newspaper on Springfield Avenue. It was nothing for me to see Bobby Mayor Baraka. As a matter of fact, Bobby Mayor Baraka spoke at African Echoes. It's probably one of the last organizations or last lectures he made before he made transition to the ancestral realm. Um, yeah, man. So so there's a lot, man. There's a, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I'm listening. Indeed, indeed. Oh, oh, man, you covered a lot. Um, but speak on the uh, importance of, and I want to get back to uh, Amiri Baraka, but speak on the importance of Pan-Africanism. Yes. Like, f- in your life, but talk about the transition from where it is now. It's like, it's yes. like a conscious, yes. what I call conscious clout chasing. People are unaware of the history of the flag. A lot of them don't even know who the founders of like Pan-Africanism is. Like they, they name and what really hurts my nerve is people put Du Bois as one of the founders of Pan-Africanism, but they never talk about Martin Delaney. They never talk about uh Arthur Arturo Schomburg. They don't talk about uh I think John Edward Bruce, who else? Man, so, several founders, but they never they never you get the credit I'm to say, the forefathers of Pan Africanism. Right. You're absolutely right. I think it goes back to, to what I was saying. People are, are it's it's lazy it's, it's lazy research. Because okay, I'll give you a good example, because you know I also have a podcast called Digital Diaspora. I'm actually interviewing uh, Jeff Perry. Jeff Perry wrote the, uh, a biography on Hubert Harrison. Hubert Harrison influenced, he's one of the influence on Marcus Garvey outside of Booker T. Yeah. Washington, who was also 
when it comes to self-determination was also to a degree an influence of Marcus Garvey, which it's actually the reason why Marcus Garvey came to the U.S. He never got to meet Booker T. Washington, but Marcus Garvey cut his teeth with Arturo Schomburg and Hubert Harrison. Hubert Harrison was referred to as the father of Harlem radicalism. They came to this connection to Africa, mm-hmm. you know, because these were Caribbean folk, you know. Uh, 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 Hubert Harrison was from the Caribbean. Arturo Schomburg was Puerto mm-hmm. Rican. Um, but they understood their African roots. Martin Delaney got an a, a understanding of that even long before them. And so what winds up happening is that we forget the genealogy. Mm-hmm. We don't, we not forget. Some of us, we don't even know the genealogy. We don't do the research. We don't do the necessary research to understand that there are levels to this thing. You know, when, when you talk about uh, Queen Mother Audley Moore, she was reparations the early part of the 20th century mm-hmm. you know so people think that this is something new when all in all actuality it wasn't and so now people will they'll do one of two things they'll breathe they'll brush they'll brush past it or they'll they'll disrespect it and the reason why they disrespect it is because they don't understand it and the reason why they don't understand it is because they don't want to do the necessary work that it takes to know that all of these things are part of a genealogy. The fact that uh, Dr. Ben, no, was it Dr. Ben or Dr. Clark? Doctor, I think Dr. Ben didn't, well, I don't, you know, I should, well, I'm going, I went into it, so I might as well say it. I, if I'm not mistaken, Dr. Ben didn't want to meet with Chekhandra Diop because Chekhandra Diop had married a woman outside of the race, you know, and if I'm not mistaken, it was Dr. John Henry Clark who actually went to meet uh, with Dr. Chia But no one knows things, understanding the importance of, of all of those, understand the importance of CMR James, understand the importance of all these individuals that contribute to that thought process, to knowing and to understanding that you have Africans all throughout the diaspora to understanding the fact that when you talk about the immigrant population, you cancel out AT and the importance of AT and how, the importance of how, uh, how important AT was to the liberation of, of physically enslaved African people. I've been to Haiti several times. And let me tell you something. Going to Haiti had to be one of the most liberating times of my life. I'll never forget in that line, I'm, I'm waiting to go. And the woman behind me asked me, she said, are you Haitian? And I said, no. She said, what are you going to Haiti for? And here it is, the Haitian woman saying, what am I going to Haiti for? This woman can't even embrace the, the, the region of the world she's from. So it would probably be even that much more difficult for her to understand that Haiti and their connection to the African diaspora is what gave them the ambition. Is what gave them the ambition to not be enslaved anymore, to say we ain't doing that no more. For to sure to take the first step, kind of getting it, but then not getting mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? And then for Jean-Jacques Dessalines to step up and take it to the next level. So we have to understand the genealogy. We have to understand that there couldn't be a, a, a Jean-Jacques Dessalines without a Toussaint Louverture. It can't be a Toussaint Louverture without a dirty bookmark. It can't be a dirty bookmark without a Celia Fatima. You know what I'm saying? It can't. So we have to understand this genealogy. We, can't, we have to understand him. there's a Marcus, Gar- Marcus Garvey yeah. because of Hubert Harrison and, and a, a Schomburg. And, and with those greats, 
Mm-hmm. They're the ones where Dr. John Henry Clark right. comes into, into play. Right. And Trotter. And all, you know, it's, it's a genealogy that, that we just we just lose sight of. Yeah, and I'm and I'm glad you brought up like the de- genealogy. Uh speak on because you brought up and a lot of people get upset with uh with right. hold people accountable. I used to go way hard on it. Um as far right. as like outside of the race, right. marrying right. like mixed race uh people. Um so you named Shaq out the job. So I was on uh, I was doing an interview mm-hmm. but the brother went live, but I was talking about France Fanon and somebody was like, Oh, yeah, French Fanon was he married outside the race. So I was like, so if that's the case, you brought up Shaq right. Antajop. I was like, we gotta throw Shaq Antajop <laughs> right. out. We have to throw out Kwame Nkrumah. Cause if I, right. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, at the end of the day, he's black. Absolutely. I can't speak on why they made the decisions that they did. So speak on the importance of, cause it's a lot going mm-hmm. on where I see a lot of the so-called right. conscious community on, online. Uh, tear down a natural black man or right. black woman, right. but we well, praise uh, what you call right. a multiracial. So right. the leaders of the quote-unquote conscious community of this era, the African right. Center movement, are not black biologically, and a lot of people have an issue with it. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I uh, just speak from your perspective on things you have observed, like. Speak on what it was when you were studying under Dr. Clark, under Dr. Ben, under Dr. Amos Wilson. But before you get into that, speak on your experience well, interacting say, as a student. I say this about Amos, Amos Wilson. Wilson. Amos Wilson did exactly what you just talked about just now. He didn't. He didn't hold his tongue because you know Dr. Amos Wilson had even some disagreements with some of the scholars. I mean, you know, it was respectful disagreement. But it was a disagreement. What was uh, I mean, what was the disagreement? Uh, the agreement Who was, was the was disagreement with? The if you don't mind elaborating further on Dr. that. Clark or, and Dr. Ben were going in. And disagreement, not a disagreement to the point where he said, well, I'm not messing with them. His, you know, oh, wow. Amos Wilson was the type of guy where he didn't get into the, and he didn't, how can I, how can I say this without, because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to miss uh, communicate with the issue of. Speak how you feel and then I'll chime in if need be. Because a lot of people feel like if I disagree with somebody, this is the issue I have with a lot of these conscious community thought leaders online that's not trained, like embedded as far as research goes. One disagreement, they'll call you a coon, they'll call you a sambo, they'll call you you a sellout. So there are some some issues that some of the scholars, I'm not talking about these cats that come on online and, and, you know, no disrespect to them, but I'm gonna tell you something. There's some issues that that, that contemporary scholars had with one another, but you would never know that. See, and that's how come you can kind of tell who understands the genealogy and who doesn't, right? Like this, I'll say Tariq Nasheed, for instance, right? Tariq Nasheed is beefing mm-hmm. with Umar Johnson, and I hate to even talk about them because it, it just it's so elementary, right? But the reason why I bring it up is because as soon as Tariq Nasheed has someone that disagrees with him. He goes into the name call. Listen, I'm from Newark, New Jersey, South 7th Street between 12th and 13th Avenue. I come up with Hockey T, Hakeem Curry. When you get a chance, Google that and see who Hakeem Curry was. But I, I, I'll give you a little, I'll give you a little history on it. He's, he was he went down as one of the biggest drug dealers in the history of Newark, New Jersey. Right? 
with my he ran with my cousin, Malik, right? But at the end of the day, this little petty stuff that they're doing, it's it's on that level. It's it's not even on that level. It's not even a street level. It's elementary school foolishness. And you know, I saw Umar not too long ago. He was here at the Source of Knowledge bookstore, mm. and we talked briefly. You know what? I, I, I as a matter of fact, African Echoes and me communicated with Umar. We were the first organization to even bring Umar. We brought Umar to, to, to Newark back in the early, uh, maybe 2012, 2013, before he was even like popular, right? Before he was even popular on social media. And so here it is. You, you used the brother on Hidden Colors 1, 2. He might have been on 3. I'm not even sure. So you, you, you rock with each other. Then all of a sudden you have a disagreement. So now we get into this name calling. We're doing cartoons. We get this King Cool. I mean, all of this. It's, you know what it does? You know what it is? It's a deflection from your lack of research. How many times outside of Sundown Towns, because Tariq Nashi did mention Sundown Towns mm. one time, and I was, I was like, that's cool. By the Sundown Town, I've never heard him reference people to go look at that. See, this research and this gene- genealogy is more than just posting a video of police ass. We, we, it beyond that. When are you going to get into the mm-hmm. fundamentals of, of what's going to be? Mm-hmm. Because it takes away from chasing the dollar. See, because at, at some point you can't just, everything can't be about chasing the dollar. You know? So what winds up happening is that if Amos Wilson had a disagreement with, for instance, if Amos Wilson had a disagreement with something that Dr. Clark said or the position that they were taking, because remember, Amos Wilson was a, was a psychologist. He was a social worker. He had his PhD in that. That was his round. So he was more hands-on. So, and believe it or not, I relate a lot to Amos Wilson because I come from that, that clock. That's one of my biggest influences because I do work, and lately I've been making the transition mm. towards journalism due to my issues with dealing with the state right. of the... African Center Education Movement, Conscious Community, uh, gatekeepers trying to keep me out. But the point, no, uh, you know, because uh, it's, it's, I get where you're going. But it's, my it's, point it's is, like, they didn't go publicly. It's, it's especially now. Like me, I'm not, and I'm not for arguing or going back and forth with somebody. Mm. But I haven't really said anything because there's a lot of people that have plagiarized my work online. Uh, like, reported wow. my page, wow. took everything I said threw their handle over the video and photo that they didn't have access to. I, I did all this work. It's like, I get you want to profit off of, that's you know, the work that you're doing and the so-called research that you're doing. You but should, I never, but I you never charged no, 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 for a lecture. Let's go back. I never, but, but, you know, if, if, I just if, did it. If, because- if your research is that valuable, you know, and maybe you should. I'm not telling you to kill people with the pricing, but maybe you should because you know what we don't we don't do this for free either. I mean we do this for the community, but we don't do this for free. Right. But uh, that's a violation when you take someone's work. Um, see, because it's different. See, things are different mm-hmm. now because we know exactly where things came from. I give you a good example. I have a, I, it's an individual I respect highly, and I still respect him because I don't think he really knew the, the ramifications of what he was doing. Baba Kaidi Awadu, are you familiar with Brother Kaidi Awadu? When you get a chance, check him out. The brother's phenomenal. He's, 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 he's genius. Not familiar. But on his website a few years ago, he had a, a lecture of, uh, of Dr. Edward Bynum, right? 
Doctor Edward Bryan is he he's a um he's a he's a medical doc he's a doctor, um but he deals with dreams he deals with you know uh, um inner consciousness he deals on that level, and they were selling he was selling a lecture with Edward Bynum on his website. The problem though, and he I mean he didn't realize at the time, but that was a lecture done at African Echo years ago. Now that's not his fault. But mm-hmm. the problem, and when you when you go, see, that's why I say to go to college, it is kind of important for certain things. Not to say, hey, I'm smarter than you, but to understand, uh, uh, yeah, understand the importance of your intellectual property. And with my master's, right, I did my capstone on African Echoes, actually, actually on that organization. And one thing that I focused on in my SWOT analysis. Was guess what? Intellectual property. Our organization, right? Our organization, African Echoes, they didn't really do a great job because you mm. had to. They didn't do a great job with maintaining, right, the intellectual property. Yeah, mm. and I and I've mm. seen that right. with transatlantic right. productions too. Um, and a lot of people, I was, I'm, t- I'm, I'm, I've been, I recently was on there for like an interview. Um. But I was talking to the brother Darrell that runs like the the Instagram and the uh, the YouTube and do like all the technology stuff. Now I was like, Mister Clemson Brown hasn't said anything about this. He was like, nah, I go to you, people you, all the time, you. and then they act like I'm the one that's the problem. It's not, that's not good. Not like they take the video, post it, but won't credit the right. source. And that's my main thing. If you get the information from me, I don't mind if you use it. But just to be like, yo, oh, this a post from so and so page. But do the maybe this person have might have more followers than me. Might have like a thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand followers, twenty thousand followers, whatever the number is. At least credit me as the source. I don't mind you using it. But uh, mm-hmm. this reminds me of the book. Uh, right. by Harold Cruz, Crisis of the uh, Negro Intellectual. So it's a lot of that that's oh, going listen, on. Let me tell you something. It's uh, funny because when I when I a lot of people paper, aren't speaking on it, the, the, the audience um, that I gave my presentation in front of, you know, they were impressed the whole night, but they didn't understand the culture of what I was talking about. You know, because what I, in my SWOT analysis. It was a suggestion to the things that our organization right. could do. See, this is this is this is what institution building is all about. All of the things that that, that, that Harlem's first world was responsible for Absolutely. is kind of lost in the sauce. So it's in somebody's trailer. You know, got in contact with me not too long ago. One of the videographers from back in the day that used to go around and take the lectures, right. right? He passed. So a lot of his lectures were put away in some in some some vault. With, with nobody actually having ownership of any of it. I, I got a, um, I was talking to Professor, um, um, they just did the second part of Hubert Harrison's biography, Jeff Perry, who's a white guy. He's telling me, and he was like, listen, it's a guy in Harlem that had a study group. And mm-hmm. every scholar that was African centered that spoke at Columbia University, he taped them. He taped all of the lectures for, the, for 25 years. So now, because they didn't have any place to put the stuff, what they were doing is they're going to try to digitize it, and Columbia is going to put it up. 
But see, Man, that's what happened. I wish I wouldn't know about that because I would have tried to get my hands to. Because we weren't allowed to do, do a lot of the thriving that we're doing intellectually now. And it's crazy you saying how Columbia is going to like archive and curate right. this stuff. Like this is why I created, and I've created multiple projects of people just me being young and naive right. and telling people about the ideas that I had. Now with me having a podcast, now I can promote the the World Report News Network. So I want to be able to curate different things like that, whether it's images, whether it's uh, any form of digital media, even if it's like lectures. Uh, And I know uh, interviewing Steve Coakley Jr., he got a lot, he has a lot of lectures of Baba Steve Coakley Sr. that haven't been released at all. And he's not doing the work, but I would love to like maybe build a relationship enough with him once I get like my LLC or my 501c3 status to curate like books, like even create like a library similar to what uh, Sean Bird did. What, and it's crazy that the New York Public Library right. Ha- right. has control of the Sean Bird Center for Research in Black Culture. Like Europeans should not be able to control what it okay. is that we're doing. So I want to get back into like Amir Baraka, uh, the Black Arts Movement. I discovered uh-huh. that maybe in my early to mid twenties, mid to late twenties. So speak on the influence of what from the Black Power Movement to the Black Arts Movement. How artists, how activists, how uh, artists, activists, or different things like that, organizers came together to curate knowledge and information to keep our co- our culture right. restored right. Right. from like a black perspective or African centered worldview. So speak on the importance of that like during the 60s. Right, right. Well, during you, the 70s. Say this about what up to now about. from where it was piggyback. to yeah, where it is now. Talked about that credit credit to something that um Dr. Carr talked about. Um, for instance, we're, we're in we're celebrating Kwanzaa right now, right? A lot of people don't realize that, that the, the reason for a lot of the popularity mm-hmm. of Kwanzaa, especially here on the East Coast, is because of Amir Barak and exactly what you're talking about right now. Being able to take that 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 whole arts movement, take the the cultural foundation, uh, and creating a community. You know, that's why you have so many people. You got you got two types of people here in North New Jersey. Those that were heavily involved in the Nation of Islam and those that were heavily involved in the Black Arts Movement with Amir Baraka, you know, uh, right after the 67 uh, 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 Rebellion. Um, and he became more popular. People followed that. Um, but it, w- it was strict because what, what winded up happening, and this is just one of the, the, the flaws, that when we do these things, and, and again, I'm piggybacking off the of red car, people were trying to emulate the culture uh, prior to here. It's almost similar to what happens in African spiritual systems. You know, you get those that are, are diehard um, traditionalists who want to practice um, Ifa or Orisha as it comes out of Nigeria, not realizing that when Cuba developed leukemia, mm. they did so to acclimate to the environment that we are in here in the Western Hemisphere. 
Okay, both are good, but we also have to have the understanding that we need to mm-hmm. do what we do where why you know where we're at. And I think that that's one of the downfalls of of what the the, the Baraka um, you know influence was at the time. I mean, I've sat and talked to uh, Baba uh, Mary about this, um, and I think that. That was one of the, the shortcomings. I mean, because it was sterile at the time, and everybody got the African name. You were into the culture. I don't know if you ever seen the video where they talk about that. And you know, it scared the it scared it scared the hell out of white folk almost as much as uh, the hate the hate produced. Remember the hate the hate produced that Malcolm was in that got introduced in that video. It was it's it's a clip that goes around that, that showcases yeah. with the organization that Amir Baraka started here in Newark. It's a whole video and uh, it's phenomenal. But you can see where it was like, whoa, you know, and it scared the hell out of them. And I think that what winds up happening is that when we when we go into our culture and we go into these things, we have to, be, we have, to have more control of what we do. And what I mean by that, every I mean also everything ain't for everybody. That's the come when when Bob Baraka did the poem right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. They complained about it, right? But then you know why they didn't complain, they didn't really complain about what he was saying in the poem. They remember where he had come mm-hmm. from. You know what I mean? And and they know that they know that anybody that comes up through that vein, they, they come up through that cultural understanding. When they come up through that leadership that Baba Baraka introduced, that you're a free thinker. See, that's what he was doing. He was developing three. I went to I went to undergrad with at least three women that came through that Black Arts Movement. You know, Shani Baraka, which we were really good friends. His daughter, uh, Timamu, Timamu was also part of that community, and then it was another sister. You know, but they already had this understanding. They came up in the culture. They came up in that. You know, and and when, and even even like in the latter part of Amir Baraka's life, Milan, when Milana mm-hmm. came over here, he came over here, he, he went immediately to see Amir Baraka. Matter of fact, anybody that was anybody in that arts movement, whether it be Nina Simone, they would come and they would make sure they would come and see uh, Baba Baraka. They would come and kneel to Baba Baraka. They would come here because they knew that, you know, he was holding the stones. He was holding the stones and he was dedicated to this thing. And that's another thing, too. When somebody, when somebody proclaims what they are, what they are about on social media, can you really believe them? Think about it. Can you really believe them? You know, yeah, they, they can get up there and say something passionately, mm. but how have you suffered? How have you suffered for, for, for this thing? There's some things that I went through, and God willing, I got through them. You know, we can go into that the next time we talk. I'll, I'll build on that. But how have you suffered? And that's not, you don't necessarily have to always suffer, but believe you me, when it comes to liberation, there's... Yeah, I, and I agree. I mm. always ask people, mm. like, you always have to... Okay. I, one of my biggest influences is George Jackson. Long Lord the Dragon, Conrad George Lester Jackson. But it's like, you always have to vet the leadership or whatever thing, or movement, or whatever it is that you're following. But now it's more cult following. Like, it's more like cult Caught like uh yes, I, I think about the episode yeah, of Martin just using that as a example. Martin went and joined the cult. It's like that in the conscious community now, where right. if you ask them who they teachers are, That's they right. can't even name. I'm not talking about like Dr. Clark, Dr. Ben, Dr. Amos Wilson, but who have That's you studied something. under? Because you, you, 
I'm a product of the Jacob H. Carruthers right, Center so for so Inner City Studies. You probably know my man, but my man, I met through the ASCAP. I studied I there school, as a, a, uh, a graduate student. Uh, uh, Dr. Kamal Rashid. I'm uh, to get hit back from him, but he, he said he'd be a guest on the podcast, so I'm just really trying to bring people through that's thorough, that's he, really he, on a square as far as presenting and bringing forth information. Um, because there's a lot of people out here spewing information, but they aren't really building or institution building. And one thing that really bothers me is how people will say, Dr. Clark, Dr. Uh, Amos Wilson, uh, Dr. Ben are revolutionary because they're scholars. Um, and it's shameful for me because there's people right. out here that are saying this doing the, or attempting to do the same thing that they did. They laid the path for you. So how are you going to oh, spew uh, dirt and smut on people oh, who have laid their life on the line? That possibly lost their home. Right. Now, mind you, for the this, work is, that this, they is, was this doing. is public information, so I'm not giving anything groundbreaking. But I remember when uh, Dr. Leonard Jeffries had to wear a bulletproof vest every place he walked. This is a scholar. He had to go every place he went. He had to wear a bulletproof vest. This was after his lecture on sun people and ice people. Somebody had loosened one of the lug nuts on his mother's car. See, when people say you know, these people are not these people are not revolutionaries, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They have no idea. He literally had to have arm arm um, people secure him. Members of the Nation of Islam securing him. See, we, we don't we, we people don't understand that these people they needed they needed security. There, there's a, there was a situation with African Echoes where we had done some stuff with Dr. Clark, and somehow they tried to 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 present these trumped up charges. Matter of fact, Ted, Ted, um, I forget what Ted's last name is. He was he was uh Dr. John Henry Clark's assistant. They got one of our lists for our study groups. And just, just to give you an idea that pe people are always listening and people are always watching. So when people, when people talk that trash about, you know, what somebody doing and what somebody ain't doing, one thing I'm not going to do, mm -hmm. what, I, what, what I'm not going to do with, with them guys that they run off like that, I don't even acknowledge them. I don't even acknowledge them because it's obvious that they really don't know. That they really have not talked to people who were engaged in this thing. And I agree with you. Uh, and me being of the caliber that I am coming from that school of thought, how I was trained and raised up by, you know, the OG scholars, the warrior scholars, warrior ancestors. That's right. Me being that I'm in my 30s, I'm going to let the elders chill and kick right. their feet up. You know what I'm saying? But I have to say something about it being where I am at this point. And a lot of people was like, oh, you you being divisive. Or oh, I was like, it was this, the the great intellectuals, guerrilla intellectuals at that time, when they had disagreement, they never went public with it. But when you were slandering, saying slanderous mm. thing and saying uh, selling falsification of African like consciousness as revolutionary thing, using showbiz liberation you, to get sure, over on people. Should. Of being a conscious capitalist, I have to say something, at least 
at least right. bring it to the forefront. The importance of vetting the quote-unquote leadership is very important. Yeah. So speak speak on like your collaboration with current or contemporary African Center scholars, as well as your observation of scholars and master teachers like during the early years of the conscious community. So I would say, what has changed from the the elders, the teacher, master teachers, teachers, scholars, as far as doing work in institution building? Uh-huh. So uh, before we go further, talk about the importance of, from your time coming up, the importance of African-centered education and independent homeschooling programs within the uh, within the black conscious collective within the movement. Mm. So what's the importance of building African-centered institutions? I see a lot of people online on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, um, that think that they're teachers and scholars based off, you know, I guess you could say pseudo-intellectual rhetoric or showbiz liberation rhetoric but they aren't building anything. But talk about the importance of building, like even if you don't have a physical space, like having a student body, if you call yourself a teacher. Right, that's right. I, I, I'll give you two examples. One, I'll give you one that's more close to home uh, that I'm involved with, I'm, I'm indirectly involved with, because um, it's, a, it's um, you know, I just, I just recently retired. So now they're going to really be able to give time to it. We have a rights to pass program here in Newark called STEP, STEP Rights to Pass Program, Striving Together Equals Progress. It's an organization that has been in existence for the past 20 years with no corporate funding. Okay. We've had so many, we've had uh, so many young men come out of this program. Matter of fact, James Morgan, who just wrote a book uh, recently, comes out of that STEP Rights to Pass program. That's institution building. Okay, we got a couple of of, of 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 people that come out of this rights of passage program. So when we talk about the works, you know, or the collective responsibility, that's why we do this to pass this on to the next generation to contribute to that genealogy that we come from. The other example is a brother who's probably closer to you geographically than me, and that's brother Marcus Klein. Mm-hmm. What Marcus Klein is doing is is, is phenomenal. The man, the man is going to go down in history as one of the great ones because he saw a need and he created a mechanism to address that need. He's created, he has several schools now where he's, he's putting what he's saying and what he learned into action. And you know what's so funny? And it goes back to what you, how the segue into this, how you segued into this. You rarely see Brother Klein on social media. He's on there, you know, promoting the school, showing what he does with the kids in class. But he's not yeah. going back and forth with, with, with Umar Johnson about, hey, well. Yeah, and I, uh, and uh, excuse me for interjecting, yeah, but I studied under Brother Klein for two years. Mm, mm. So I worked directly with him. So he taught me basically everything there is to know. Wow. Uh, just, getting to know him, but also uh, never meeting formally, but being able to have a conversation with Baba Kamal Kamon and uh, being able to have conversations with uh, 
Bob N. Wailima Baruti mm-hmm. in Atlanta with the Aquaban House and Aquaban Institute. So being able to interact with those brothers, and who was another example? Brother Q Butter mm-hmm. in New York. That name, that's right. That's right. That's the Zayats Institute. That's right. So there are programs, and you bought up Umar. So what is your what are your thoughts on Omar? And do you think the school is coming? Because just to give perspective to people that have an issue, because I've spoken up on Omar, met the brother before, opened up for him, rubbed me the wrong way with my interaction with mm-hmm. him. But uh, I'm not going to tear him down because he is putting forth some effort. Right, right. But speak on uh, like your difference from seeing people actually putting in work to what that would be the contemporary example. I would love to see Umar get this school. I think um, that I'm gonna tell you what I think. I ain't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. I'm gonna tell you what I think that the issue is with Umar. Um because I, I, I love the brother. I love the brother. Um Umar suffers greatly because he suffers greatly from what we suffer from, but he suffers even more so because of his popularity. He's trying to do too much, in my opinion. Doing too mm. much. Uh, he's doing too much at the same time, and I think that he's so hands on. He wants to be so hands on that he might be missing something. He got some. So he got a sister right here in in the, this area, Elizabeth Montclair. She actually uh, assists Umar when he comes here because he actually has the, the, the property. He already purchased the property in Delaware, right? He's well, good mm-hmm. HVAC individual. I mean, you know, you got there. Some of the stuff inside the property is missing, you know. And see, that's the thing. You can't one thing you gotta learn, you can't do it by yourself. Mm. And I think that he's so far, he's so far, I won't say gone. I don't that's a bad, that's a bad way to 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 formulate that. I think that what winds up happening is that he he's doing so much. And he's not taking the time to realize to, to know, yo, you can't do it all by yourself. So, like he, he when I when I brought him to Newark, right? He told me his price. I said, bro, we Oh, yeah. Before you go further, let me give a disclaimer to those who follow the platform or will eventually support the platform. This is not a slander or not attack on Omar's character just to provide perspective. Right. And I get there all the time that I'm being divisive, so I want to throw the disclaimer out you. there that this is not an attack on Brother Umar. It's just to give a different perspective Absolutely. He, he, for, he, his, for his minions and uh, his cult following. I don't want them to go right. back and report to Umar. And they, that, and they could. Uh, all Umar got to do is listen to him because Umar sees me on the regular. Whenever Umar comes to Newark, he sees me. I'm very good friends with Masani. Dexter and Patrice, me and me and me and Patrice are actually family at the Source of Knowledge bookstore. Yeah. So, he, yeah. But I had to know, put the disclaimer out there because people are taking uh, around with it. So yeah, I, I, I absolutely get it. Um, and that's my man. I, I love him. I just think that he does so much, and like he has, like a lot of people don't know, he he actually has the property now. It's just a matter of. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're going to do in order to fix that property up. And I think he, he he's, he's doing so much that, you know, you, you, you got to fall back. You got to fall back because 
one thing I had to learn on my own. I had to learn I couldn't do it all by myself, even with my little podcast and the different things that I do. You know, I got, I, I'm at the mm. point, sometimes I don't realize the the tentacles that I had. I don't realize all the people mm. that I know. At one time, Omar was sending women to me with children, with, with sons that, that are in this area to to come to the Steps Rights of Passage program. See, people don't know that, you know what I mean? And he don't he don't really advertise it, and that's cool, too, you know? But he would say, women will call me every once in a while, hey, how you doing? You know, Brother Umar gave me, Dr. Umar gave me your number because I have a son who I'm looking for a rights of passage program. As a matter mm. of fact, I asked Umar to come to Newark for a fundraiser for the Step Rights of Passage program, and he always tells me, hey, listen, brother, give me the date. I will be honest with you, there are not a lot of, it's not a lot of people that I've come across and I don't know whether it's me. I don't know whether it's because of African, the history of African echoes, but I seldom come across people where if I ask them to do something for me, that they won't do it. Whether it be right. Umar Johnson, whether it be Dr. Greg Carr, uh, whether it be Renoko Rashidi. And me and Renoko Rashidi, we we banged heads. Because you know, Renoko Rashidi, although he he's a he's a he's a great scholar, I think that when it comes to Contemporary politics. He he's he's of the 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 elder guard. I don't want to say older. I say elder. He's from the elder guard where they feel like oh certain things you should like like you're saying right now that you shouldn't address, but you should. We should we should respectfully address some of these issues so we won't make the same mistakes over and over again. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they, these things have to be addressed. It should have been addressed early on that Barack Obama was not a good person for us to be making a celebrity in our community. But mm-hmm. we fall into this, 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 this celebrity thing. And, and we see it even more so with this pandemic, you know, everybody wants to step into the ring. You know, you got T.I., he got a, he got a podcast and you know what? It's his right. But, but who are, like you said earlier, who are his teachers? Who are the people mm-hmm. that are responsible for the claims that he makes or the things that did he did he espouses on. You know, what position are you coming from? What institutions are you trying to build? Where, where are we going to go with this thing? You know, you mentioned something earlier. You said something about the falsification of African consciousness. And it's funny that you mentioned that, right? Do you have that book? Uh, I did, uh, but I don't any longer. Okay. I had a situation where somebody took like oh, several books. Don't feel, books hey, listen, don't feel but, bad about the book thing. You will get more books taken from you. Trust me. <laughs> But I was going to tell you if you had it to go get it and to open it up. And if you opened it up on the, in the beginning, you would see that that's and that's almost uh, I'm, I'm addressing two things actually to you. When you open the falsification of African consciousness, that lecture was done at African Echo. Wow. Okay. See, a lot of people don't know that, and I and I drop that on cats every once in a while. But the falsification of African consciousness by Amos Wilson was a lecture done. And Subabu, right? Subabu and and Adisa, who did the transcribing. I'm, I'm close I'm close with both of them. They did the transcription of that lecture, and that's how they created the book, The Falsification of African Consciousness, right? But mm-hmm. that's part of the institution building, right? So, when, so the stuff that you're writing, you got to make sure you take those things and you don't just, don't just rest on your laurels and have them uh, 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 on social media. Because, you know, like you said, people will come and they will snatch your stuff up. 
even on Facebook, like I, I would write these, I would write even movie reviews. I did. I looked at a movie review I did back in 2013. I think it was. It was on um, 12 Years a Slave, and I made sure that I went into the the mechanics of Facebook, and I and I and I made it a document. So when cats come to me later, I, I can say, hey, listen, this is where you got this from. This is the date. This is where I wrote it at. We have to protect our intellectual property. We have to protect our intellectual property. But um, going back to Umar, I just think that he's trying to do a whole lot, but he's also trying to maintain being relevant with people. I think that maybe he shouldn't have to, because even the situation where, where they got, they said something about him and some girl, I I, can, I don't even keep up with that. I call that the the the, the chitter chatter. I, I don't even get into that. But he even said himself that he put himself in a position that See, and that's my thing. Sometimes we got the call of spade a spade. Mm -hmm. Me and you will have them right now. We we may not be able to have that with cats we came up with. Mm -hmm. I don't know the cats I came up with. You know, Hop ET, you know, he, he's incarcerated now. He got life. But you know, he'll he'll send a, a, a kite to me. Tell Ali, you know what? I should have listened. I can't tell my cousin Malik that. You know, he got murdered in 2007. He died the same year that my father died. You know, his son, seven years later, gets murdered with his first cousin, his brother's son. So there's some there's some people that you may not be able to discuss what we're talking about with. That doesn't make them bad people. And it doesn't even have to be on that drastic a level. When we have discussions mm -hmm. in these conversations, they just say, like, I used to go, I used to talk to Tariq on social media because we have a mutual friend, Bayana Bello. Bayana Bello out of IT. Right, he did the movie in Haiti, and he went over there and he hooked up with um, uh, Brian Bello. But he did the little movie, raised a little money for it. Once he did that, he ain't really he don't really talk to Brian anymore. Right, and I didn't, you know, and I ain't got nothing to do with me. Right, whether he talking to her or not, but I do recognize how he moves. So, mm -hmm. and how he moves, my thing is, hey man, you know, I don't know about that. I can't speak totally to it because I don't know him like that. But you know, all of the people that he deal with, they know me. Baba Kamini, uh, 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 um, Hiawatha, we're friends. I, matter of fact, before Tariq even put him on Hidden Colors, I I had him speaking at African Echoes. All the people that, that, mm. that Tariq Nasheed had on Hidden Colors, the first the first one, I had all of them speak on African Echoes. Every last one of them except Bobby Hemme. I saw the Bobby, uh, not not Bobby Hemme, uh, Valentine. Out of out of Valentine, everybody that he had on Hidden Colors spoke at African Echoes. Which he did mm. though, he capitalized on that. He was able to he was able to make money on them lecturing in this this documentary, cinematography off the mm. hook. So what he did was great, but I don't I don't know about his intentions. I don't know about his intentions. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I know that it's a big thing with this FBA ADOS issue. He was rolling with ADOS, but he couldn't he couldn't make no money off of it. I don't think, or he couldn't put like this. Didn't get ownership. I don't want to make it sound crass. He couldn't get ownership, so he went and he did his own thing. You know, and and people's intentions are people's intentions. Hey, God bless them. Mm -hmm. But all I'm saying is that. When I when I notice if you roll in a certain way, that's how I make my decision as to whether I need to even be talking about anything moving forward. I'm about to right. study. I'm about the practicality. I'm about the step rights of passage program. I'm about the people's organization for progress. Mm -hmm. I'm about African echoes and studying and bringing more people into the fold. That's what that's mm -hmm. where I'm at. That's my lane. You know, all that other stuff. 
I can't rock with it. You know what I mean? I can't rock with it because it's not, I got children. I got children that are not my children. How are we going to fundamentally move this thing forward? Because true liberation will only be enacted when we're not even here no more. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen next month or next year or 2025. But what are we doing to lay the bricks? What are we doing to train right. tracks for people to build on this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, yeah. you are. You are absolutely. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought a practicality or practical application or, you know, strategic thinking. Because I speak on it all the time. Talk about the importance of practical application of theory. Why is that important as opposed to what Dr. John, Baba Dr. John Henry Clark called showbiz liberation? <laughs> I get it. So speak on, speak on the importance of practical application and talk about the difference from what you're saying, your observation, of uh, practical application versus showbiz liberation. Okay, the showbiz, and you know what, you can get something from anything, even the showbiz liberation to a degree. Not a whole lot, but you get, it does spark some consciousness in some people, and it gets, I'll give you a good example mm-hmm. of that. So I, I, I'm involved in, in, in African and spirituality, and I've, I've been since I mm. since um, shit, the, the early '90s. So I've always created an environment where those that do practice that can come together. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know Dalian Adolfo. He's out of London. He did esoteric knowledge, um, and such uh, esoteric. I think that's the name of the documentary, esoteric knowledge. And um, we we actually met via social media. We've been friends sense but he's out of london and he flew over here he flew to north and we actually showcased his his um his documentary in north mm. i mean we had people come from as far as pennsylvania um pennsylvania and uh well of course new york pennsylvania delaware i mean people literally came up here man they came up here to north we had some of the most thorough people on the panel but i say all that to say it was a young brother who would come to the lectures. He didn't know anything about anything when it came to it. So he started to come, he started to come. And so I hadn't seen him in a while, right? And so maybe a couple of years had passed. And I seen him, he was an initiate. Um, he was thorough with it. And it, I didn't even recognize this dude no more because he had taken this thing to the next level, man. And it was just, it was just something to see, man. It was really just something to see because I was like, damn, I remember when that because he was Dominican and he would share with me how his mother was anti-African. But the was a little lighter mm. than me. But she was anti-African. So what he did was he took that the anger that I guess must have been stewing inside of him and he, he made those things practical. He got involved with this thing. Just like the Step Right to Passes program. You know? Brother, uh, 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 um, uh, 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 damn, well, I forgot my man name. I forget my man name. Any of it, the founder of Step the Step Right to Passage program. I got so much racial in my mind right now. Brothers, uh, um, so so what winded up happening was he founded this thing 20 years ago. But his thing was when we do this, we don't want no corporate backing. The community is going to have to provide that for this program. 20 years ago, he said this, right. He followed Dr. Clark. He was at those lectures the same way I was at those lectures, right? As time went on, they got they got it going. They got a little momentum going. Now it's popular. Now you got people coming to the Step Rights of Passage program from Pennsylvania. Dropped all the way from Pennsylvania to Newark, New Jersey. 
right? Mm-hmm. So guess what? They did uh, a year and a half ago. They bought a building. So when they bought that building, they got contractors from the community. We were giving this big caramel mm-hmm. for Kwanzaa, right? And all of the food mm-hmm. came from the community. All of all of the stuff came from the black businesses. They are. They are the, the, the example of practicality. They are the example. Mm. And so here it is. You get these individuals who are not as loud as the, what do you call them? You, 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 you got a little nice name for them. Uh, entertainment. <laughs> entertainment liberation, right? But, but, the, but, but the cats were yeah. making it happen. You don't hear a lot of fanfare from them. You don't hear about all the stuff the Steps doing. You don't hear all the stuff that the Freedom Home Academy is doing with Marcus Klein. These brothers are making it happen. Mm. There's another brother, because I was thinking about going back to get my PhD, no, my EDD in education, but my focus on my dissertation would be on uh, the rights, rights of passage programs and how they enhance education is utilizing those professors and those those PhDs, because it's a brother, forget the brother's name, but he actually, he's, he's, um, he's a scholar of rights of passage program. Having him on my panel, so we can start program. Well, I, I get the brothers, man. I'm, I'm running. I'm, I'm, I'm getting old, man. Um, what is his name? If I say his name, you're gonna know who it is. If I say his name, you'll know exactly who it is. But in any event, I've already talked to him. He's he agreed that we can sit and talk about it. Uh, that I would probably ask Dr. Carr to be on my dissertation committee. And so to take that, because I met Dr. Carr at the 50th anniversary of the Carruthers oh, Center for Inner City I Studies. That. I actually. Oh, okay. Um, Brother Larry Ham, People's Organization for Progress, practically getting out there and and, and doing the necessary work. Uh, Sharon Salam, the mother of Youssef Salam, fighting for legislation on criminal criminal justice reform. You know, these are the people who are not stars, quote unquote, in this thing. They're not stars because they 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 leave. They're doing the work. They're not caught up in getting and being seen. And you know, and that's cool too, as long as you're doing the work. You know, it would have it would have been it would have been such. A, and granted, you people could do what they want to do, but you know, there's so many directions that that uh, that we probably could have gone in after Hidden Colors or after 1801. You know about the Irish Revolution. There's so many directions you could have gone in. Yeah. You know, but again, you know, who am I to judge? Cool out of jail. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but um, yeah, I I I I, I, I like the, I like going down memory lane talking about these things, man. And you know, when, when we do this, when we do audio recordings or video recordings of this information, it, it, it immortalizes our stuff. And this this is what we have to learn. We have to learn the value in our intellectual property. We have to learn the value because there is value in this. We can't just do it and then toss it to the side. I think that that's the the, the barrier that Karen Hunter is trying to break. Trying to break the fact that we, we do mm-hmm. these lectures or whatever and then we walk away from them. No. No. When Noam Chomsky comes to New York, two, two to 4,000 people come out to see him. Books are for sale and it's packed and they're mm. buying these books or whatever. I went to see Noam Chomsky one time at that church up in Harlem. And let me tell you something. There were so many people there, man, it was unbelievable. Uh, the man is an institution in himself. Wow. 
But but we need to learn from that. We need to learn some lessons. Like even even mm-hmm. with, even with the the promotion of of hidden colors. I'll be honest with you. When I did all this work, well, we did all this work. I won't say I. We did all this work. African Echoes bringing all these lecturers to to Newark, and he did hidden colors, and he had all of them on the big screen, and people lines all over the all 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 out of movie houses. I was like, hey. you know, all the work I did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's crazy, man. But also to touch mm-hmm. on something else you talked about, contemporary scholars. Uh, one of the the difference, I won't say difference. Um, well, the difference is, of course, they're contemporary. But I'll say this: uh, shout out to Dr. Jared Ball. I remember when we got Dr. Jared Ball to come to Newark, and um, he agreed to come. He wouldn't take money from us, man. Yeah, and, and you know he well. would never mention it. I know he wouldn't. And it blew my mind because I'm like, wow, we got all these lecturers coming in. You know, they they gonna turn nothing down, but they kind of rightfully so, because you should give somebody an honorary. You know, and and what he didn't know is I was the one that paid for the train ticket because I felt bad taking money from African Echo, and I kind of had it, so I played for the front for the plant for the train ticket for them to go back to Baltimore. You know, that's but that's what we should do. Mm. This is be some reciprocity in the work that we do. So he can't, he wouldn't accept money. Another individual, Daruba bin Waha, he's like in between. Because Daruba bin Waha was a political prisoner. You know, Black Panther. Um, mm-hmm. He's another one. He, he's, he, he didn't take money. You had to kind of force him to take money. Matter of fact, he did a lecture at the Source of Knowledge bookstore. He left before they, they before they gave him his money. Yeah, he left out the store. He had to run him down. It's the integrity. Kanadu, he's another one. He's another one that does things from the bottom of his heart. Dr. Todd Stephen Burroughs. But that's also the way that an organization like African Echoes has in that African-centered community. Didn't mm-hmm. ask for any money. I also have to say, Malefe Kete Asante. People can say what they want about him. That man didn't take no money from African Echoes. He came to promote his organization, Afrocentricity International, but he didn't. He wouldn't take any money from us. Matter of fact, I'll say this. The majority, 90 98% of the people that come and speak at African Echoes, they say, hey, you give me whatever y'all want to give me. That was their position. Give give me whatever you want to give me. Dr. Tyrene Wright, she's a, she's a scholar too. She's out of Tuskegee um, Tuskegee University uh, down in Alabama. She wrote the book, um, um, as a, uh, what's the name of that book? Booker T. Washington as a pan, um, Pan-African. Yeah. yeah um, you know, yeah, me and her are good friends. We, we connect every once in a while. And um, she's another one. So I will say that those who are, who understand the genealogy, you know, with, with Darryl Ball coming out of the Turner, coming out of, you know, from under Turner, uh, Greg Carr coming from out of Carruthers, Theophilio Banger, um, all of these individuals, Dr. Leonard Jeffries coming out of the school, Dr. Ben and Dr. Clark, uh, when they come out of that genealogy, they usually have the same, the, the same principalities that those that taught them had. So they 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 stand on their character. They, their character speaks for themselves. It's for itself. And, and I'll say that um I have the utmost respect for for all of those individuals. Every last one of them. You know, so we we, we got a strong circle, man. And I, and I'm glad that, that me and you connected. Um Marcus Klein. I, I've interviewed Marcus Klein on, on my podcast a couple of years back. Um Kaya Wadu. All these individuals, man. So and we're not doomed. And all of these people that I named, they're not really a presence on on social media. I mean, Jared Ball is. He's someone you should follow. You follow Jared Ball, Dr. Jared Ball? No. Follow, I've heard his name. Before, but That's nah. who you want to follow. You want to follow Dr. Todd okay. Stephen Burrow. 
these individuals, and, and Dr. Ty Stephen Burns, he literally has a PhD in communication. You know what I mean? And he's thorough. Matter of fact, he just did a review on the book that Jeff Perry um, just did, the biography of Hubert Harrison, the second part. It's a thousand pages, and it's only on, and it's on, only on nine years of Hubert Harrison's life. That's research. That's research. Thousand pages, and he has he has citations for days. I'm going to be interviewing him on January the 21st. No word. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna yeah. take a look at for them. Dr. Jared, um, uh, uh, um, Jared Ball. Whenever you see some things out there floating about Simotap out of Queens, New York, uh, James McIntosh and Betty Dobson, and they also have Clark House out of Harlem. Uh, mm -hmm. You know when it's open. You know with this COVID thing, it's not a lot of whole, it's not a whole lot of stuff going on. But these are the circles. These are these are the people that you want to plug into, and that's not to say not to listen to those individuals on social media. Because I, I mean, I've seen some some thorough dudes right. uh, on social media too. Um, but the the people I just named, you're going to get a whole lot out of them because of their research. It's it's more than just uh, posting mm -hmm. some quote or something. How about doing doing the work? What's the the work? I appreciate your insight because uh, just looking at the work of the. That I just started digging back mm. into like my old research in the Black Power movement. They were saying how media, Absolutely. Black media, played a large factor. Um, even now, even in the quote unquote conscious community now, although right. I don't agree with everything that Sonetta does on his channel, you got I like what he's doing you, you with the House to, of Consciousness. Media I'll say this: Sonetta obviously didn't come up in either the Ivory Towers. Or an HBCU, you know, it's a brother who who was into the consciousness or whatever. I can't. This is what I I, I sense because I could be totally wrong. But he's provided a need. You know, nobody else is doing it. Why not do it? Mm -hmm. and, and and that's what he did. You know, and, and so he hooks up with uh, brother. Um, I forget the brother's name. Who was who was um, Doctor Doctor Dr. Jeffries? Right, Reggie. With Reggie and. Uh, Jabari, Jabari Osazi. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm familiar with uh, both their work. I had an opportunity to uh, interact with Brother Reggie doing my interview with Transatlantic Productions. So, like, platforms like those have played, like, a large factor with I've seen a, a need and try. I've been rebranding, trying to figure out what's my lane, what's my niche. And every time I get reported, people like, yo, start a podcast. I tune in. I want to see your work, so I got to give it up to Transatlantic mm -hmm. Productions, uh, Sodnetta TV, uh, Cows, the Cows Radio Program, uh, with Brother Gus. Um, man, it's several others, but those are the ones that I've seen that was right. like curating the knowledge base um, and curating the information that was beneficial to our liberation, right. like like a, a university right. for the now, because everything being that it's on YouTube, it's curated. Because I'm, I'm not a fan of like doing video, just personally, I don't really like doing video. I'm more right. comfortable right. doing like more so radio and audio, but I had to find when the time was right and with everything going on with the pandemic, people when they cars, uh, uh, they working out, they trying to get themselves right. together mentally and physically. So I wanted to create a platform right. that had a younger base. Also being able to reach those who don't necessarily watch YouTube or, you know, different things like that. And podcasting is the thing that's going on right now, 
but I wanted to create a base that as far as like the movement of African Center Education, what can I do to create a platform to provide voices for people that are similar to mine, that uh, uh, go through the issues of like being mistreated or being looked over. Not that, you know what I'm saying, that we really care, but I wanted to create a platform that provided a base for, right. you know, the revolutionary Pan-African thinkers as well as warrior scholars to create a platform. Like, everybody don't like watching video. Uh, what's different? I could d- have done this on video, that but Sarnetta already got well, that well, on that lock. that mean that you, you can't um, add your own speakers? Remember, back in the day, when I was coming up, you had you had uh, um, Gil Noble. It was a show. There you go. Gil Noble. Had, uh, Tony Brown. Voices on BET. Um, the McCrary report up here in the tri-state area. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. had a few, and they were all successful for the most part. They were all successful for the most part. Yeah. There's another one up here now uh called the Cultural Caravan. And it's out of yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, not, you know who speaks in there? Gerald Horn I'm gonna look speaks that up. in there a lot. Right? So that that's it's phenomenal. This is this a really good show, and it's up here. So you know it's yeah, it's a lane for uh, it's a lane for more than one, you know, and, and it's good and, it, and it's good that you do have we do have more than one because, like for instance, all the issues going on now with trying to get uh, episodes of of um, like it is with Gil Noble, you know, you can't you can't ABC owns all of that, so we won't make that mistake anymore, you know, God willing, we won't make that mistake anymore because we, we have to learn from the last generation. We have to learn from that last generation. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Even the whole thing with like Vlad TV, right? I could talk about and complain about what Vlad is doing all right. day or what somebody else is doing. If I'm not willing to make any changes, and I appreciate you giving me and having this conversation with me, but um, talk about, before we get out of here, talk about the importance of having our own media Ooh. platforms and propaganda to decode what mainstream society is, like the thing with Vlad TV and people getting, quote-unquote, they blaming Vlad for being the police or fed huh. or contributing to us getting locked up. It, as, as, as plenty of black that? media platforms where you don't that? have to go to Vlad. People like to blame That's Brad right. for being a culture vulture, but we don't have to feed into that. So speak on the importance of having our own media platforms like the War Report, like a uh Sidenetta TV, like a Transatlantic Productions, like a uh Jared Ball his show, and a wide variety of other platforms that we can go on. Also, I believe it's another program called Renegade Culture that I just got introduced to. Um, so talk about the importance of like African-centered media platforms. Like, oh, shout out to my brother, Do the Knowledge. Mm. With, uh, knowledge Born Out Loud with Do Knowledge Radio. So platforms like those podcasts, uh, radio platforms, uh, visual platforms on YouTube and other on, on different forms of social media and digital media. So speak on the importance of preserving the culture, preserving and restoring right. our cultural knowledge right. and I think, I think that you know, you our history for our people. Because at the end of the day, 
we have to be responsible for transmitting our own narratives. See, a lot of things get lost in translation, not only to the to the to the bigger world, but to our own. We don't realize. Like I, I was just looking at some uh, where there's a statue in Boston of Abraham Lincoln standing over an enslaved African, kneeled down in front of him. They just recently removed that statue, but was what was most pressing about that statue were the responses from obviously younger folk, possibly, because you know you never know. Their whole thing is, one, one per, the first response was WTF, what the F, right? And then somebody said, uh, uh, how can a, a statue like that even exist, right? And so I'm saying to myself, well, hell, I knew about that statue half my life. How do you not know that they had a statue like that? You know, how do you not know that a lot of the 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 statues around the country are Confederate statues, you know? And the reason why is because we don't control our own narrative. And one way, especially in today's climate and environment, of controlling that narrative is through media. And not just any media, but responsible media. Vlad is not concerned that much about what goes in on our country culturally? He's 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 Muslim. I think he's Muslim. So his thing is his his dedication, his loyalty is is, is to his people. That's why he had a fetish with the Nation of Islam or, or a fetish with anything mm-hmm. Mr. Louis Farrakhan said, because if he felt like it was attacking his perspective and his culture, he's going to push back with his medium. Vlad is a millionaire. Vlad is a millionaire, and all he does is something that me and you can actually do take people who are quote-unquote popping in the community and have an interview with them and get their perspective on some things. Catch them when they first come home from prison. Catch them when they're making music and they're popular. You know, he's controlling his narrative. He's controlling the narrative that he wants to see. If you look at some of the stuff that Vlad writes, it's it's abysmal because he, he's no different than an inquirer. He's no different than yeah. And, and you know, and I'm not saying that as a judgment call. I'm saying that because it is what it is. So me, my lane, like with my podcast, mm-hmm. you know, I'll have Larry Ham come and speak. So I, I came and I interviewed him based on his him running for Senate against Cory Booker. I had uh, Miss Sharon Salam, the mother of Yusef Salam, mm-hmm. Central Park Five, or was known as the Exonerated uh, 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 Central Park Five. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked to another individual, Kenneth Goodwin. He's an African American mm-hmm. that lived in Japan and worked the first American that worked on that stock exchange in Japan. Now he works over here and he works with with uh, blockchain technology and Bitcoin mm-hmm. and all of those different things. Being able to transmit a, 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 a message mm-hmm. uh, that we can understand, and and being able to leave breadcrumbs as to where else they can go and study. It's important that we, we transmit these, 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 these stories. It's important mm-hmm. that we transmit this narrative, you know? So when, mm-hmm. for instance, how, how much in the news did you hear about the election that just went on in Ghana? Right? You didn't hear a lot about it. Now, mind you, it's important that we understand what's going on in right. Ghana politically. And mainly because, think about it. Ghana yeah. just got a billion dollars pumped into their economy last year, right before this pandemic. A billion dollars from Africans all throughout the diaspora. 
because it was the year of return. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means, but that's what they call it, the year of return. Mm-hmm. So think about it. Now, if you think, you know, I don't, you know, whether you're a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but it's just so convenient that all this stuff started happening when Ghana talked about the year return. Then Nigeria was going to talk about the door of return. And then Benin was going to talk about the gate of return. So here it is, we have these Africans throughout the diaspora, not just in the United States, but the Africans here in the U.S., the Africans in the Caribbean, all these Africans going back, Africans out of, out of the U.K., they were going back to Africa and they were pumping money into that economy. Then what was going to come next? Then another thing that we want to report, and I'm only saying that because I reported it on my podcast, Chihombori Akwao, uh, she was the actual uh, representative the, the, the representative to the United States from Ghana. She's a doctor here in the U.S., but she's from Ghana. And she talked, she was the one that talked about France getting all of this money uh, from Francophone countries or West African Francophone countries. So she was raging the alarm here in the United States. So I happened to go to an event in Hillside that I was invited to by a doctor from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey he asked me to come through. So I went through and I had my little suit on. I went to have my little microphone. So I was invited upstairs to go talk. So I went right to her and I started asking her questions. And I thought that I would be able to get a five or 10 minute interview with her. I wound up getting a 45 minute interview and then went live on Facebook. Right? This is the woman who was making noise all over the wow. world. She called out France. As a matter of fact, she, she was the reason why couple of those African countries said, we're not doing that no more. Because what France was doing, they were holding money for Africa, right? And so when those African countries, those Francophone countries were getting the money from France, they would tax the money. This has been going on since colonization, right? This stuff exists right mm. now in 2020. This woman talked to me for 45 minutes about it. You can actually find it on my page on Facebook, The Digital Diaspora. And I interviewed her about all of that. And she explained it. I got a personal phone number. That's controlling the narrative. That's controlling the narrative. Building institutions where we're able to tell our stories. And not mm-hmm. just the stories of what goes on here locally and nationally, but what affects African people in the diaspora. Let me tell you something. That was the biggest story of 2019. Mm-hmm. Dr. Chiobaro Kwao. She was the biggest story. She was the Story and, uh, and, and, and the thing that came second was the money that was pumped mm. into the into Ghana's uh, 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 economy. See, but we need to know, we need to know all that. We need to know that uh, all of the chocolate mm. that France doesn't grow, they get from Africa. And so, right now, currently, right now, currently, guess what? Now there's a big rift. Africa said, "Yo, y'all can't keep getting cocoa from us. Y'all don't even make chocolate." You go to quote, you go to cocoa in Africa. So now that's a big thing mm-hmm. now because they're not getting what they're supposed to get. They're not getting what France said that they would give them. Look at all of the, the, the moves that are being made in Rwanda right now. See, and, and we as African people, we don't we don't understand that wherever Africa goes is 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 primarily where we're gonna wind up going. We we gotta we gotta understand how important it is to focus on that and see, and that's what I contribute to this whole thing. Remember, you were saying that everybody you know, doing what they do. Well, I can contribute to that, but I don't feel like 
if somebody else is doing it, then it will threaten me because I'm going to do it differently. You know what I mean? I'm going to do it differently. And I think that it's important. It's just as important right. for us to know Absolutely. what's going on in Ghanaian politics as it is to know the politics of what's going on in this country. So, um, you know, that's my that's my, my position on uh, the media and, and the importance of institution building within media. It's very important. Roland Martin, whether we like him or not, has been saying for years now that the money that's allotted to um, in elections barely goes to to African American media, but that's our fault. That's our fault. We need to start calling them out. And guess mm. what? When you start calling them out, then they mm. might want to play ball with you. But we have to control our own narrative. And when we control our own narrative and we start telling the truth, and and yeah. more one more than one of us are doing it then we become a problem. Absolutely. Uh, Before we go, I want you to give some uh, revolutionary alternatives for African youth. So some things that they can do. Maybe they are coming. They're new to uh, self-awareness, knowledge of self, uh, the cultural history of our people. so can you share um, some words I'll say with the next generation? And, and I got hit to this a little later on down the line when I was doing my genealogy research uh, that we need to talk to some of our elders. And I know it sounds something, I know it sounds simple. It's not that simple. And I'm gonna tell you what I mean mm. by that. The younger generation has to to learn that. We have to make it our business to talk to some of these elders before they join the ancestors. Uh, before my grandmother died, I actually was able to interview her based on a, uh-huh. a, a project I had when I was an undergrad. I came home and I actually interviewed my grandmother. I had five cassette tapes full of information I had never known in my entire mm-hmm. life. And I was a junior, I think I was. I think I was a junior in undergrad. And I learned so much and it gave me so much. It gave me insight as to how a large part of my family began practicing, became practicing Jehovah's Witnesses. Because right? I always said to myself, why are they Jehovah's Witnesses? Y'all come from Alabama. Like, I have... And it made sense as to what happened. You know, I learned that they were sharecroppers. I learned that my father was a sharecropper. You know, when you hear sharecroppers, yeah. it, it, so it's your grandmother's My grandmother was a... Uh... Was a sharecropper. Okay, this is what you should do. This is just yeah, my my grandmother. Yeah, she's still alive. She's eighty-seven. See, it was a cassette when I was an undergrad. You know, we we evolved technologically, right? Take you one of those digital recorders, and you need to sit down and and, and rap with your grandmother. It's impromptu. Rap to about how, and you know, do it in a way because you know some of the elders they're funny, so you got to kind of sneak it up on them. Sit down and talk. Sit down and ask her how was her childhood? What did she do as a child? What kind of music did she like? You know, did she go to church? And, you know, how did they get paid? I went to a genealogy conference and I took my cousin with me. She's in her late 70s. And so one of the brothers that was there, he had this little brown envelope. And she said, wait a minute, that's the envelope that we used to get paid with. And and it blew my mind because that's when I realized that she was a sharecropper. And when you saw, if you talk to my cousin right now, she's hip. You would swear she was in her 30s, but she's in her 70s. 
you know, because she she just doesn't age. She doesn't age. She's a, she's a, she's an African mm-hmm. vampire, a vampire. Just Romaldi. <laughs> she you know, she she just doesn't age. In any event, just talking to her, I learned so much. So when I'm doing my libations in the morning, I'm calling on ancestors. I'm calling on ancestors that five years ago I, I didn't know their names. That's the connective tissue. She has the connective tissue. When you're able to to mm-hmm. have these conversations about uh, what happened back during that time, you know, I, I know via my research and talking to the elders that my father was is from Henry County, Alabama, and that's where a lot of enslaved Africans were dropped off at in that region of the world. So I, I would advise all young people. To just take some time and talk, and not just to your, your grandparents, but some older people, older people in the community. You know, at one time where I was born and raised, I was born and raised on 7th Street between 12th and 13th Avenue, right north. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't realize, so me and my man had a discussion one night, and he said, yo, do you realize every business that was around when we were younger were owned by black people? The liquor store, the corner store, you know, the place where you got your fruit mm-hmm. from, Mr. Dixon. Jolly Club, which was down the street, the laundromat on the corner of 7th Street, and the restaurant that was next to it. The sandwich den that was two blocks down 12th Avenue. All of these, all of the stores and liquor stores, all of the businesses in that community were owned by African Americans. But what wound up happening, they wanted to, they started selling it to people. That's why now you have a large influx of the Latino community, people in those communities. Because our elders wanted to move to the South, or they wanted to move someplace where they could rest in their laurels. We had a place called Brothers Barbecue, one of the most famous barbecue places in the state, in the tri-state area. People would come from PA, from New York, to come and get a rib sandwich from this place, right? I'm a friend. I don't eat none of that stuff now, but that's besides the point. But he sold it, mm-hmm. right? He, well, no, he gave it to his son, and his son ran in the ground, and somebody else took it over. So we have to have these conversations with the we have to have these conversations so we can yeah. see. See, because we think that we're going to just go it alone. Yeah. We think, oh, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to just put that in my rearview mirror and I'm going to move forward. No, you're going to have to have that conversation with the elder. In order for us to understand our economic situation, for us to understand our cultural situation, for, mm-hmm. uh, for us to understand uh, 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 what they call uh, the retention of African culture. The retention is in our elders. Retention in some of the things is some of the things they did. My grandmother, she ate collard greens with her fingers. Mm-hmm. Cultural significance to, to that, you know, it's a cultural significance mm. to how my mother and her mother made red rice with the peas and everything in it, and how that's the same thing as jollof rice. The same thing. A lot of times we don't know that. At least those who are outside right. of this, this cultural realm. We don't mm-hmm. know that because we don't want to take the time out to sit and talk with the ancestors. My ancestors talk to the elders. My bump heads with Dr. J all the time, but I don't mind. I don't been with Dr. Leonard right Jeffries to his family's gravesite. We, we went to have, we went one day to recognize Baba E. Mooney uh, on the day he died. We try to go back every year. And we were going to go to his house because the family had cooked food for everybody. So Leonard Jeffries was he rolled with me from the gravesite to Bobby Nooney's house. So he told me to pull over. Now, mind you, I don't know what he's talking about. We're in the middle of a graveyard. I'm like, we pull over. And I got my kids with me too. I got my my uh, Amari and Makeda there with me. And so we pull over 
And I look at all his family, man, all the tombstones of all his relatives, you know, that died. He was giving me the history of his family. And the reason why that is so significant to me is because, you know, when I buried my father, it was like, ah, you know, okay, he's buried. And between me having that discussion with Baba Linda Jeffries and me having a discussion with the Baba Lau, who told me, you need to go see your father's gravesite. And after I saw my father's gravesite, I wanted to see my grandmother's gravesite. Mm. So just that little discussion with Baba Linda Jeffries, mm-hmm. I, I, I took the responsibility to go and to, 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 to put down the tombstone for my father, to put down the tombstone for my grandmother. There's some, some importance to that. It's, some, it's important to our cultural retention. It's important to mm-hmm. our memory. All these things are important. You know, uh, uh, being able to have these discussions so we can move forward. So when our children ask us questions about, well, Dad, did you do X, Y, Z? What did you do? You know, we need to be more prepared because that's the only thing that's going to get us out of this rut that we're in. That's the only way that we're going to see liberation. We're only going to be able to see liberation when we connect the dots. When we understand the, the genealogy, that we're who we're waiting on. Well, my brother, Ali Mabrad, I want to thank you for coming you. on to the War Report News Podcast. I appreciate you, my yes, brother. Sir, I am Gully Black. Can you please give your uh, social media Instagram. how people can get and in I'm contact with you. I'm on Facebook, and I also have a podcast. A page on all those platforms on IG. I'm uh, it's digital digital underscore. I think it's the it's digital underscore digital diaspora. It's, when, you, when you put it in there, it'll come up. But digital underscore diaspora. Uh, Twitter. I'm also the digital diaspora on Twitter, and of course, I have a Facebook page. And a lot of those interviews that I talked about are on Facebook. And the interview that I had with Tio Hobori uh, Kwao, you can actually see interview that I had with you'll see that she was open, man. This woman is world renowned and she's talking to me about the issues that Africans have with African Americans. She's touching everything. So those are the media platforms that I'm on. And uh, we also have a page after the African Echoes page as well on on um on Facebook. All right. Yes, well my brother, thank you again. I appreciate yeah. you. Uh keep up the great work. Absolutely. And you keep on pushing forward and you keep on doing your thing, man. All right. Well, that concludes this episode, another episode of the World Report News podcast. You can find us on a wide variety of different platforms through streaming services. Uh, you can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Castbox. Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, SoundCloud, Overcast, Spreaker, Spotify, and TuneIn. Thank you to everybody who has actively supported us from Africa to the U.S. 